0: When there's no more room in hell, the dead will listen
1: to Bloodfest, the podcast.
2: Hello, and welcome back to Bloodfest, the podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Y'all know me, know what I do for a living. I'm joined tonight by my good friend Joey, who's directing over here off-screen. How are you doing tonight, Joey?
1: I'm doing wonderful. Can't complain. I'm excited for
2: this uh,
1: episode tonight.
2: Yeah, push push your your buttons. Push your buttons. buttons. I'm also joined, as always, live via satellite by my good friend Josh. Josh, how are you tonight?
0: Hey, doing okay. Okay.
2: Yeah, doing okay. You, you can't give me more than doing okay. Come on. He, he works uh, like
1: 12 hours, so <laughs> slightly psychotic,
2: barely awake. That's better. More. And as always, my sort of friend, Casey. Casey, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing just fine. I'm happy to, to be here and speak with Chad. Outstanding. So tonight we have a very special guest. Chad Crawford Kinkle, the writer-director of Dementor, Jugface, and Organ Grinder. So Mr. Mr. Kinkle has agreed to come here tonight to do a little interview and then stick around and talk about the film Clear Cut with us. So chad i want to thank you so much for agreeing to be here tonight um i'm sure you probably are used to doing much bigger venues and more important people than us so we're just really blown away to have you we are i appreciate that (laughs) so um i like to just jump right in and i start with a pretty general question so did you always want to be a filmmaker or were you drawn to, to, to film because
3: you had a specific story that needed to be told? Uh, you know, I was just the art kid and I, uh, always loved movies and horror movies. And, uh, you know, I was making, of course I grew up in a very small town in Tennessee and, uh, I didn't know where movies were made. I thought that they were just made in Hollywood and, uh, so I didn't. I never thought that was a real profession, other than the fact that in high school I had bought uh, Tom Savini's uh, makeup effects book, and so I was trying to recreate, you know, his effects. And uh, my friends and I, we had. Um, well, my parents had like a, a VHS camcorder uh, that actually my grandparents had bought. Uh, And anyway, so on the weekends, we were I was already making, you know, really bad, uh, cheesy, you know, horror things like like vampire stuff. Uh, We had a character that was called Microwave Man (laughs) and he he was like a Jason character, but it was like a generic Freddy mask. And we would uh, put someone would wear like a, a camo jumpsuit and then wear the mask and that would be the, the jason character and we would throw this body out the window of the car you know we were just like <laughs> doing crazy things so i was already very very interested in it and but like i said i was just like the art kid and had no idea how movies were really made and when i went to art school um a guy that was he was actually older than me that was in my collection of roommates and he was already already in the film program. And I was just like, oh, shit, I can like learn to make movies here. And I was like, just blown away because I watched his first project, you know, whatever he had done. And I was like, oh my God, this is like what I, I was already, you know, making. And so then it was just like, you know, it was just full blast from then on. I was like so engaged with all the classes and just, I just found my place immediately where when I went to the college, I didn't know, uh, you know, I didn't didn't know what I was going to do, like what discipline, you know, 3D, painting, whatever it was going to be. I didn't, I didn't know. And uh, it's funny because my art in high school was all horror-related, uh, you, know, you know, very much ripping off different things. Like uh, I had this one uh, – th- project and it was just a radial design. So that's just thing, you know, it kind of goes out from the center. And so I did this like six foot size face and I did like a rat coming out of this guy's mouth and then the skin's being pulled by these rats, you know, at each each part of the skin. And I carried it into, you know, school like this. And the thing is my girlfriend at the time, her and her grandmother prayed about me after that. <laughs> 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 so so I was always you know, and then we did this like we had to make like a shaped pumpkin, and so of course, I had it ri re- ripped open, and the different panels had different oh razorish things going on, so I was always drawn to her for sure, uh and you know, just landing at a college that had a program that I could learn it was just you know. I didn't know it was there and it was the perfect thing for me to kind of get into so for this so from then on it was just about making uh the movies that i want to make
2: yeah
1: hey chad so, i kind of i want to ask you you know all of us who are into the horror genre we had some sort of movies favorites that we grew up with you know like i i like the poltergeist uh the exorcist what were some of the horror movies you grew up watching
3: you know, it, it was actually a lot of different things because um, there was a show on USA called uh, Commander USA's Groovy Movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and and I got exposed to a lot of cool movies through that way. I mean, I think I saw Night of the Living Dead for the first time on that, the original. And um, so I, I watched a bunch of Hammer, really loved Hammer movies because of that. Um, and, you know, and I like everything from really bad B movie stuff all the way to, like, you know, you slick Hollywood horror. Um, so I, it was just you know, I had a lot of different movies that I, that I loved, um, from like nap to to whatever. Judd. I loved <laughs> yeah. Judd when it came out. Uh, when it came out, my uh, the kids in my neighborhood they played a game where they pretended that behind their house, there was a, uh, these planks in the ground and that there was a tunnel that they didn't go into. And that there were the chud kind of creatures down there. And they would stage these elaborate things where I would stand in front of the house and they would be screaming behind it and come running out of the Creek and saying that they were down in the tunnels. And I was like, please let me go down there. <laughs> and they were, they were like, Oh no, you have to get, you have to get a really big, big shot to go down there. And I was like, give it to me. I'm ready. You know, like I was just, always into it but um i don't know like one of the things i saw early was like the howling too oh. and um it uh it really affected me there's a scene where she's hiding from one of the werewolves and uh diaz and she's it, it's like a, outside against like a dick or something and she's behind a piece of wood and the werewolf reaches in and she slices the hand off and it, and it freaked me out so bad, that, that severed a hand. And I'd go on to like, you know, be in school and read Freud and read about castration anxiety. And I was like, that's what it was.
1: <laughs> that's what
3: it, it freaked me out so bad. And uh, the cool thing was when I was touring with Juckface Face to the festivals, I, um, I was in Spain and I got to tell Joe Dante that story at dinner. <laughs> it, was, it was like you know full circle for sure oh, that would but be uh, amazing the first real like the time i remember being scared first was um uh, uh a wizard of oz and it was it was not even the witch it was the monkeys oh the monkeys oh, to me were yeah. so terrifying and that's the first time i really remember being just kind of shook and I, even when I started, even before watching um, the Commander USA stuff, I guess I would just w- find movies to watch like that. And I had these big, bigger-sized Legos. I don't remember what they were called. Too and close. I, made, like, Too I guess close. And I, made, I made a mask to wear to not be scared. And I'd sit there and watch whatever the horror movies were okay so the, uh, I was
1: going to say have you seen the, the Wizard of Oz 2 because the monkeys are way more terrifying than that <laughs> <I have laughs> to, uh, <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> don't watch
1: it then
2: so I was going to ask so you, you talked about liking a lot of different types of horror which honestly I feel because I'm kind of a generalist but your, your career so far on film has been very focused in the, the area of folk horror and has that always been has that always been an area that you've loved and wanted to work in or did it just happened with these particular stories?
3: Uh, It's never been a in the beginning, it was never a conscious thing. Um, It's kind of strange because that wasn't even a term, whatever, 10 years ago. Uh, And I don't know, I just wrote from what I kind of knew from growing up in this small southern town Uh, When I was in college, uh, you know, I was I read horror novels, but I wasn't like a a well-rounded reader. But when I would do writing projects, my teachers multiple pulled me aside and said, man, your stuff really reminds me of Southern, Southern Gothic literature. And I was like, oh, I was was like, I don't know. I don't know, you know? And so when I started reading, I was like, oh yeah, this is kind of right down my alley of what I'm kind of interested in, mixed with more kind of magical things or folk magic, you know, and that kind of ties with what, you know, my upbringing, I guess. And so it just was a natural thing that these are the type of stories that come out of me. um, I don't even really focus. I'm just interested in in those elements. Um, because, you know, I watch all kinds of movies and like hardest, you see movies all the time. And I'm like, oh, I, w- I want to make that type of movie. Mm-hmm. and But what you end up realizing is that you're never going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. That person is the person who makes that movie, only them. And the movies that you make are the movies that you make. Mm-hmm. And you can't just shove it, shove yourself into something else that, that you like. And it's a really hard lesson to learn. You can you can tell when filmmakers do put themselves in a position because it's a very fake and and not authentic and you can you can tell it. Um, so yeah, so it just was a natural thing for me to to kind of like pull from. Oh
2: okay okay that's interesting. So um so Dementor uh, your your more recent film features your sister as one of the main main actors in it. And I was very curious about the, the genesis of the story in the film. So did you, did you have a story and you thought, I can feature my sister in it? Or did the story begin with the desire to, to involve your sister and to create uh, better and more representation for people with developmental disabilities? Or how did it, how did it come to be? How did it start?
3: Well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a, a bunch of things. Um, just being in film school, I always thought about doing some kind of some like documentary because I learned documentaries, you know, when I was in film school as well. And, uh, but then I thought, you know, what, what story would I do? That would be interesting. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make a movie just for people to feel sorry for my sister, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you know, that would be the student film. Right. Yeah, And, and um, and of course, yeah, I mean, it bugged me as a kid growing up and seeing, you know, not that much representation of people like my sister. And even when there would be a Down syndrome actor, they were very high functioning. And that, that drove me crazy because really in the community that I knew, that was very rare. Most people have Downs are, you know, much less functional than that. And so, and obviously it's not because, you know, I was trying to hold back these, this, this representation. It's, yeah. it's a practical thing. Like, you know, you have to meet your days, you have a budget, you have a time schedule, you can't have people on set. that are not going to do what you need them to do easily. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, basics. And, um, so there was that, um, always that desire to do something with her. And I thought, yeah, I was and then just eventually, um, I guess I'd watched the tribe. I don't know if you've seen that movie, The Tribe. It's Is it it's all like, yes, yeah, yeah. it's set yeah. in the school, all deaf kids, you know, all all non actors. Once I saw that, it just like really popped in my head. I was like, oh, my sister's environment. I can do a movie there. That would be really interesting. And you know, and so I thought, yeah. And then I'm like, but what kind of movie? And I thought, I was like my sister in a horror movie just like to me that had like energy to it. Like, yeah. how was I gonna pull this off? You know, that that seemed like something that to, to try to do. And so I kind of thought about it in terms of documentary in the beginning, like a fake documentary. Uh not necessarily found footage, but just uh I would follow her around for like a month or so and then try to cobble together story bits to then add to and then I realized no, I don't have any money because I, I funded that movie. And so I was like, I only have X amount of dollars to make this movie. So um, we're gonna have to do it in a normal fourteen uh, day, you know, you know, budget, you know, and just and make it, you know, straight, not not a documentary. Yeah. And uh, and so like the idea outside of just okay, uh, using my sister, it, it was it's like when you when you're, you you live with someone like that you're always seeing how the the rest of the world kind of reacts to her and you like in her facility they you know there's like an organization that controls that center that she goes to and and they come up with new rules every year because they're trying to make things better for their clients and they're always trying in their mind trying to do things that are positive for them, but sometimes the ideas uh, that would he- they think would help actually hurt and so like for instance, um, they came up with an idea that they didn't want the people the, the clients, the common clients to be in the center all day long because they want them to be visible in the public, oh, which that I makes agree sense. with.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, but they came up with a rule that, okay, they had to be outside the center for six hours of the day. That's most of the day. So they come to the center for an hour, are gone for six hours, and come back for an hour. Mm -hmm. Now, the reality is that most of these people, even my sister, are not that mobile. Mm -hmm. So you're asking them to be physical in a way that's uncomfortable and tiring to them for the full week. And so what happened is they would be, uh, yeah, on the weekend, they would just let them stand in their pajamas at the house and, and hang out because they were so tired from the week of being dug around. I don't even think i go out six hours a day. <laughs> 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 right. So, so that, that was sticking in my brain. And just the overall idea of the overly compassionate people, their desire to help. Can hurt a lot because a lot of times they're blind to the, all the issues, you know, or the realities of a situation, and it's just it, it's not really realistic. Or, and so, so that's kind of how you know it started in my in my brain.
2: Hey, well, I I, I actually enjoy the hearing that. Um, so I really liked that D gave us more and better representation, um, and. That's honestly lacking in, in Hollywood, and I've, I've noticed that when you do see people with developmental disabilities, either as you said, they're incredibly high functioning or they're treated almost like magic totems, you know. I, <laughs> right, I, yeah, and I honestly, I hate that. I, I have an uncle who is developmentally disabled, and I hate that sort of representation. How important yeah. is it to you that we actually find a way to get Hollywood to change it and give us better and more realistic representation? And do you think we can get them to change that?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, times change and people get sensed. And Hollywood's always been to um, the will of the of the ticket buyer. Okay. Uh, so I think that will change over time. Like, I, I don't own, just on one hand, I don't have... A huge problem with a down syndrome character being magical in a way you yeah. know like yeah. on, ju- on just its face you know the fact that they're always presented like that yeah. is troubling but you know i i think i could write a cool character like that and because like even with my sister there's been like these these moments i'll tell you this, that that i don't know what it is it's probably probably isn't anything but For instance, my sister kind of cut through uh, tensions in a way that we as normal people that have grown up in a normal way are held back. Like uh, there's a story where my parents went to visit someone in the hospital and they were all... um, not knowing what to do, what, knowing what to say to this person that was in the hospital bed, and but my sister just ran up and like held a person's hand and does things, and the person just lit up, and and that's that that's kind of magic in a way that that she can see what, what needs to be done in this moment where the other people could because of whatever the reasons. And so that's like a cool moment that, you know, or my sister, she, when she goes into a restaurant a lot of times, which was really embarrassing as a kid, she runs up to some random stranger to say hi to them. But, but I feel like she goes after people in a way that, that need in that moment. And that sounds strange to say, but it's happened so many times that the person has come back to us and said that, they needed that in some weird way it's just it's just strange how that happens and then uh just recently um my mom's been telling me this story that the AIDS told her about um about my sister talking with my dad like like looking looking into the room seeing him he's passed away and and having this conversation with him and they're just just kind of sitting back like, that's really strange. Anyway, all this could be just totally nothing, but it just, I don't know, since she is different, she sees the world differently than we do, and uh, that shows up in ways that's kind of peculiar, I guess.
2: It's hard not to see magic there.
3: Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. That's a form of it, I guess. Yeah.
1: I think the rest of us kind of get in in a hurry or get pushed to grow up, and we kind of lose that that sense of magic you know we had yeah. in our kids, we were kids so maybe all they around
2: just... us yeah. yeah right yeah so i wanted to shift gears just a little bit because i wanted to talk about casting in films so both both joke face and dementor feature katie uh groshong um who by the way is actually from originally from not far from here. She's from Wellsville, Kansas, which is just a couple hours drive from where I am. Mm-hmm. And I actually lived there for a little while. So I when I found out she was from there, it was like, oh cool. <laughs> but and and also both films feature the legend, Larry Fessenden, who we are super excited is coming on our show later this month. Love Larry oh, Fessenden. Great. Um but I've noticed so some directors kind of develop a call it a stable of actors that they love to use over and over again. And uh, do you see yourself doing that? And are Larry and Katie, like people that you think, w- when you're writing the next film, are you going to be thinking, is there room for Larry and Katie in this? Where would I put them? Is Do you, you see that as something?
3: Uh, that happens kind of after the fact. Um, when I'm writing a script or whatever, I'm just going with whatever the the, the story is dictating. Uh, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I want Larry to be in every movie I make. Uh, he was not in my latest feature that I've uh, shot. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. But um, but yeah, but it's just, it's just that you know you have people that love being around, you They can do the work, and uh, well, and sometimes you write the the role specifically for the person. Like, of course, Dementor. I just had the idea, and I I thought, okay, well, who could I get to be, be the main act? Who can I trust to bring into this world of my sisters? And I was like, oh, Katie! I was like, Katie's like the nicest person ever. You now she's an organ grinder face. You know, I know her. She lived here in Nashville. And so I wrote it for her after I told her about it. I said, well, do you want to do this?" She said, "Yes." And I said, "Okay, I'll I'll have you a script in like a month." We're going to shoot in two months. <laughs> and uh, so, in, and then of course, in the screenplay, um, the Larry character the, the is Larry. I wrote it for Larry the whole time because it's just after Jugface. I, I wanted to work with him again for sure. But there's other people too, like Sean Bridgers yes. uh, from from Jugface, who, who I've said, if I could have an army of Sean Bridgers, I can make a whole movie. I can make the best movie. Ever, because he's just <laughs> so amazing. I think and, I just but I haven't him been able in to work. Deadwood, with him.
2: And and honestly, he blew me away there, and I've just been a big fan of him since.
3: Yeah, he's he's fantastic. So um, so yeah, I mean, you want to work with the people that you like, uh, because it, it it also removes uh, getting to know time, and it also just removes uh, a worry of something going weird with the uh, person during the shoot.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, so speaking of casting and Jugface, so you've got, you, you have what in my mind are big names, Larry Fessenden, Sean Bridgers, Sean Young, um, which is amazing to me. Um, also, I guess, uh, Lauren Ashley Carter is in it. Were you surprised to, to get such honestly big names for, for your first feature film? Was it, was it difficult? To, to get those people in or how's
3: that the, uh, yeah basically yeah so like you're saying that filmmakers work with a certain stable of actors that's that's definitely more true for producers mm-hmm. um and, and andrew vandenhouten who produced a joke face he already had relationships with these people and so like first person to read the script was sean bridges and he wanted to do it. And he wanted to either be the father or Dwight, you know, Sutton or Dwight. So that was a huge, um, you know, uh, just great sign about the script. And I do remember the day that um, he, Andrew sent an email to Larry Fesden about, you know, the, like, he's like, what about Larry for the role of the father? And I was just like, oh, my God, yes. Because I was a huge fan of Larry already. And then, like, um lauren she you know was in the woman and i had i had contacted andrew about making jug face because of the one not because i had seen it yet because just because of what i read it was about and then the reaction at sundance when it it premiered and because it just felt like similar in a way and he showed me the uh, he gave me a a a blu-ray of the woman and uh And so I saw Lauren in that and I I was the one that thought, Oh no, let's put, let's, let's ask Lauren to be Ada. She'd be perfect. Like her face is great and her eyes. And, you know, I thought she could do it, you know, acting wise. And so, yeah, so really Andrew has, um, and Sean Young, Andrew had worked with Sean Young was really wild. She, she didn't do it. She turned it down in the beginning. And, um, she said it was really weird. She's like, "What is this?" I think is what she said to Andrew. And uh, then she came back later and said she was going to do it. And I didn't believe Andrew. I was like, "Really?" Because it'd been like a month. And I and and after we shot <laughs> Jugface in her like ex interview, she was asked why she did the movie, and she did it because she had turned down Andrew for um, the girl next door. I think that's the name oh, of it. Oh well, wow. the mother role in that, and and she regretted not being in that movie, which is a total slap in my face. I, you know, normally people read the script like, "I want to make this movie because of the script, this is an amazing opportunity." Right. Instead, it was like her, you know, being regretful about not being in this movie by Andrea. So, and it, anyway, it was just a. You know, of course, it was a, a you can't strange it journey. Journey.
2: I was going to say, you can't expect the normies to get the world we live in. So, okay. <laughs> that's true. That
1: movie was, uh, that's the one with the girl tied in the basement, right? Yes, rough. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. That, or at least one of them, because I know there's like two of them with yeah. the same name, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that yeah. Was a, that's a horrible film. I mean, it's a good film. It's good film. Well yeah. hey, yeah, but it's, but it's yeah. a terrible story. Oh my
2: God.
3: Yeah. It's so, rough. Yeah.
2: So, for the audience at home, we want to play the teaser trailer for Jug Face. So,. Mr. Director, can you roll that footage?
0: The pit has spoken. It is an honor to be chosen, to be with it in this world. You know that, but without the blood, the waters of the pit would heal no one. It's a way.
3: It wants what
2: it wants. Oh, I love that trailer. So, Joke Face, which I'm, I'm going to tell you, I am absolutely in love with this film. I've seen it several times, and I will probably be watching it again soon. Um, so... The, the society, the 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 group in it, they, they have what feels like a, a truly developed and complex religion, a theology that feels almost pre modern. And I always wondered, did so did you spend time like developing the, the rules of the religion, the religion itself before you wrote the screenplay? Or did that just kind of develop in the writing?
3: Uh I guess just, you know, when I came up with the concept, um, I mean, it was just basically the religious aspect. Okay. They, re- they, they worship this God that that exists. I, I thought of it as in another plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in a hole. That's just the portal. And it's in another plane. And, yeah, it, it heals them as long as they give it sacrifices when it wants it. And uh, so it was just simply that for me. Um you know, and the idea for it uh, it just came from uh, there's you know their face jugs, which is the name of the folk pottery, and I had seen them in a museum uh, in North Georgia, where my wife's uh, family lives, and I was struck by how awesome they were. And just walking around the uh, the the exhibit, I was watching a video of one of the potters talk about making the jugs. And I just, in my mind, saw a possessed potter making a jug, or actually, you know, getting in a hole and getting the clay out and and hearing these whispers and then going and sitting in front of, uh, you know, making the pot and it be someone that he knows. And I thought, oh, that person needs to be sacrificed. Like I came in with that just standing there. And I was like, oh, wow, that could be a cool movie. Awesome. And, uh, the first time I started to think about how to write the story, I was like, well, I'll just have, you know, the classic setup. Someone comes into the town to do something, a reporter or whatever it is, an outsider, and, and, and never felt really that great. And, you know, I just wanted to tell it, you know, from the person who would suffer the most in the movie, you know, emotionally, because just in general, the, you're going to experience the emotions of the main character, you know, as an audience. So I was like, okay, I think it'd be really cool just to drop in and aid as the main character. You don't know what the hell's going on, but you're going to figure it out as, as the story is told.
2: I love I love the way I love the way it develops because yeah we, we kind of start it almost feels like we're starting in in medius rays like we're right in the middle of it and yeah we're we're lost at the beginning and kind of have to fill our way out right. as thing as things happen and so I was gonna ask and you already did it because the face jugs have a, a long history um, they, lots of cultures but more most interestingly to me um, in the American South enslaved people made them. And so right, I was going to ask if any of that fed into it. But, yeah, it looks like you're well aware of the, the history of face jugs. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I saw them in the museum. I wanted to buy them immediately. And then I, re- I read the two kind of main books about face jugs in America. Um, as I wrote the script and I was researching potters at the same time to do the work for the movie, as well as just buying the different families. Cause there's all these different families that I can look at a face, check and tell you what family did that it, um, it's from one of those. So anyway, so I got, you know, yeah, really deep into the history of it and uh, yeah. Okay.
2: So I was gonna ask, so Jug Face and, and to an extent Dementor as well, Deal with why well, more than to an extent. Deal with kind of insular, backwoods cultures. Um, so personally, I I love that. My my people immigrated from Scotland into the mountains of Arkansas down in the in the Ozarks, and so i come from hill people and backwoods people and honestly i've been in places that i recognize when i watch chug face um i see that and i'm like yeah i know people who live in places like this and act like this so i was curious mostly because uh a lot of folk horror um seems to comment on the belief systems seems to judge the belief systems they show but I never felt like Jugface was judging what these people believe or their, or their, their religion. It's really just prese- it seems like the film is presenting it. We're gonna make our, our judgments. So I was wondering, do you have experience? You're from Tennessee. So do, do you have experience with like Appalachian culture and things of that nature? Or is it something you've just been interested in and learned about in order to write in, in that area?
3: Like I was saying, the town I grew up in, the whole county's thirty thousand people, and so there was all these different offshoots of Christianity, smaller sects like you know the ones that grow really long hair. My best friend's mom had to speaking tongues when she was sixteen. or snake handlers. There's also beliefs about you know um, just just different types of like boogeyman or witches or and just all kinds of stuff that's just prevalent in that culture. So. I don't know, I just don't... um, I know a lot of different people, I guess. I've grown up with a lot of different people, and I've met a lot of different people just, you know, growing. And so I just have never tried to to take their word or whatever, see the world through their eyes as much as I can. And so when I write these characters, that's the whole goal, is just to present them as normal people viewing the world in, in a specific way. And so that's why I mean hopefully that's why that you know, they don't seem like I'm judging them very often, you know. They're always trying to do what they think is right and you know, just has just, just like we all are.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We're all the same. We're all the same. So I, I was gonna say, what's next? But you you mentioned that you've already shot something, you have something in the can. What's what's coming? Can you tell us? Or is it a secret?
3: Yeah. Well, I can just tell you, um, yeah, it's, it's another folk horror that I shot in Alaska Ooh. and, uh, yeah, so a new set for me for sure. Um, it's kind of a spur of the moment type of, uh, opportunity. And, um, so yeah, we've got a little bit more shooting, but, um, been editing for months on it. So hopefully next year it will be in festivals.
2: Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, I'm very <laughs> excited to hear that. Um, because I've been, I've been waiting for something new because I've been, a I've been a fan for a while. I know these guys are too. So before we move on to the next part of the show, Josh, Casey, Joey, do you have any more questions for our guest?
1: Yeah, I've got something. Um, um, I'm just curious, what movies have what new movies have you watched recently, or, or at least movies that are new to you uh, that uh, that really stood out, some something you really enjoyed.
3: I'm gonna have to look up to my like movies that are sitting over there. Uh... <laughs> Well, actually, a movie called that I just watched fairly recently. Um, before making uh, my latest movie that I thought was amazing, I didn't see when it came out, but it's called Birth. It's got Nicole Kidman in it. Oh, and it's the director of Sexy Beast and Under the Skin. It's absolutely amazing. Shot in New York, it's so twisted. Uh, I, don't think I don't even want to, I don't even want to. Yeah, it's like basically she has a real. I'll just. It's not that but. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just semi ru- ruin it here. But uh, mm-hmm. she's a lady in New York. Her husband has died, and then a boy shows up, saying that he is her her dead husband, and he knows all the stuff about her that only the husband knows, mm-hmm. and it is dark. It's it's really it great. Yeah, I've seen the trailer yeah. for that. Yeah. I yeah.
0: completely forgot about it. That sounds it's, awesome. Yeah. it is awesome. Okay, it's, sexy, it's a freaking beast and great under movie. The skin are both
2: amazing
3: films. Yeah, I, I forget the name of the director, but he's phenomenal. I mean, Shawnee Glazer. So yes, right, right. Yeah. So check that out for sure. Birth is. I don't oh. hear people talk about it enough. I don't never hear people talk about it. But yeah, my uh, my DP Jeff Wedding. He had a. Uh, mentioned it and I was like, Oh yeah, I'll check it out. And, uh, yeah, that became kind of a, uh, touchstone for, uh, my latest film, just, uh, stylistically, I guess.
1: Cool. Uh, and I was also curious, uh, just what do you do in your spare time besides movies or do you have any spare time?
3: <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff. Um, I, I still skateboard, <laughs> I do. Uh, since I'm from a small town, I still do sort of backwoodsy stuff. I'm a pretty avid hunter. Um, if you could see my office, you'd see a bunch of deer heads in it, but white, you can't white see tail in, or, in this shot. White tail, yeah, or white, tail. white tail. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't have mule deer, in this, so you just white tail, turkeys, eastern turkeys. Because uh, my family my mom. Um, still, there's still the family farm that exists. But I've been hunting there my whole life. Um, so yeah, I mean, of course, movies, reading, books. I'll I'll find a new hobby every once in a while. You know, do a lot of writing, obviously. Now I'm collecting pens, uh fountain pens. So <laughs> do a bunch of strange things. I'll show you this uh while we're on the on the air. This will be well I, I, actually I'll show you a multiple uh this is related to horror too, so this will be cool. Okay. Um the first pen is this one is a waterman 52 oh. from ni- 1915 and this is more than likely the type of pin or the model pin that lovecraft used oh and i bought oh, it and nice. it's been restored so it's really freaking cool oh that's awesome so I'll show, yeah show, it's like just a oh. little nib or whatever
1: nate's getting really excited yes. he loves lovecraft <laughs> yes, yeah I so
2: love anyway lovecraft, but also waterman pins are beautiful
3: yeah, so there's that, and then this is a new Waterman uh, Metropolitan that Stephen King's model oh. that he uses. So that's cool. Uh, and then this is a kind of cheap Pilot pen. Um, I'm sorry, this is Metropolitan. The the Waterman was a Hemisphere. Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, writes with this uh, Pilot Pilot uh, Eight Twenty Three Neil Gaiman. Right, oh. with this pen now the best coming up. Okay, this is an Italian maker called v- Visconti, and this is the limited edition Dario Argenta oh. edition.
0: Oh, <laughs> nice! Yes, nice. It, it came well with this box
3: it. that had two ink wells that say arg- Argento in the glass or on the top. Two different inks, and it's just—it's crazy. It's like one of fifty that were made.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. So, so you've wandered into into a group of massive Argento fans. So okay, we're, we're well, can, yeah, you can, for, you can,
3: yeah, you can see in the, the background that. Poster, mm-hmm. the is nice. That, that's autograph by Argento. Uh, Jeff, the my wedding, my DP was in Italy. I had been to Italy to his store, rosa mm-hmm. store in Italy, and I remember asking about Argento, and she's like, He's not here. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, Okay, <laughs> you know, but uh, but Jeff was there during Halloween and had been, happened to go by, and it said, Argento's going to be here signing. And he was like, oh, my God. And so he brought me that back, and I didn't even know it. Oh, that's You know, it, say, it says to Chad. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Argento wow. fan. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's
2: beautiful. So what's your favorite
3: Argento? Uh, I mean, probably Suspiria. I mean, I could say Deep Red, mm-hmm. too. It's just to depend on what day that you would ask me. Yeah.
2: Everybody thinks I'm nuts, but it's Tenebrae for me. I think I think. Tennebrae, I like them too. Yeah, I think yeah. Tenebrae is just the best, and it, it's John Saxon, honestly. It That's true. Adds an extra level for me. So <laughs> I love John Saxon. I even yeah. love him in things like The Bees.
3: I've been, uh, when I edit I, in the program that uh, that I use, um, it can do a thing called Scene Detect. So I, I'll put in like I was just doing Tenebrae, and it chops it up my shots. So then I watch the edits and watch how it's you know, structured basically. And I'll watch that for five to 10 minutes before I start my own editing session. Now it's just watching Tenebrae and, the, and now it's Suspiria. No, actually now it's Inferno. Actually Inferno is what I'm watching. I had already gone all the way through. Um, what was that one? I can't remember, but anyway.
1: Four Flies.
2: Oh yeah! Did it's, you see Severin want, I, put out that beautiful edition of Four Flies on Grey Velvet?
3: I, ha- I haven't seen that. Oh, uh,
2: oh, wonderful! we all. I just watched that
1: yesterday. It was pretty amazing. I watched it. Who put it, it on? Yeah. Severin. Yeah. Okay. Severin cool. Yeah. Cool.
2: It was a. Uh, it was only available for what was it? Three days, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Well, I Electra, assumed they do a standard edition at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was crazy. So before cool. we start talking about clear cut, Josh, anything you you're, you're you're on mute, Josh. You've muted. Why are you muted, Josh?
0: <laughs> you I didn't tell my daughter tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got up and I forgot I was not wearing a pants. <laughs> Sorry guys. That's normal for Josh. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, never any pants. That's... <laughs> That's all I had was just to make myself embarrassed. Now I just sit here and stare some more. (laughs)
2: All right. Well, uh, so Mr. Kinkle has agreed to take part in our discussion of the classic folk horror film, Clear Cut, starring Graham Greene. For those at home, this is your spoiler warning. While we talk about the movie, we will definitely give away major plot points, including the ending. So if you have not seen Clear Cut, why haven't you seen clear cut pause this go pick it up it's on shutter right now um it's available on blu-ray it's in the severin all the hunts br's box set and if you don't own that you should have that so go watch it and then come back and listen to what we have to say now that that's out of the way the quick and dirty synopsis of ClearCut is there is a lawyer who is working for a group of indigenous people in Canada. Their forests are being cut down, ClearCut, by a greedy logging company. The lawyer's working to try to stop the logging and he is failing miserably. He is there to speak with one of the elders of the tribe, Wilf, um, who he has become friendly with and Wilf asks him to go into a sweat lodge with him to undergo a ritual and to pray about what it is he really wants. During the sweat lodge ritual, he has some strange visions in which he sees a man he doesn't know, Graham Greene. Later, he and Wilf are preparing to get onto a boat to head into town and There's a man waiting to ride with them, and it is Graham Greene. He's introduced as Arthur, and he is a kind of interesting fellow right off the bat. He asks the lawyer, Peter, what have you done for me lately? And Peter's like, well, you know, trying, but I'm losing. So Arthur, played by Graham Greene again, um, asks him, what should we do next? To which Peter, the lawyer, first says, I don't know, blow up the mill. And Arthur responds, that's a good idea. Do you think it would work? And then Peter suggests, maybe we kidnap the president of the logging company and skin him alive. To which Arthur responds, now that's a good idea. A short time later, Arthur effectively takes Peter hostage. And together they kidnap the president of the logging company. They take him out into the woods where they treat him very badly, torture him a bit, and partially skin him alive. Um, all this time, Peter is trying to put a stop to this and suggesting that he doesn't want it to happen, etc., etc. Wilf, the the leader, shows up to drop a little wisdom here and there, including a rather cryptic story about um, Wisda Jack, a a trickster who people had had trouble with in the past. Um, it all comes to a head with Peter demanding of Arthur what do I have to do to end this do I have to kill you Arthur leaves a knife where Peter can get it and tells him when you use a knife you have to get right in between the ribs because if you don't you just tear the skin the guy will bleed and then get pissed off uh the fight escalates Peter actually does stab Arthur Arthur he grabs a gun and is about to shoot Arthur Arthur smiles at him, but the gun misfires. Then Arthur walks into the water and disappears. So that is clear-cut. And honestly, that sounds like a lot of stuff happened in a movie, but it doesn't begin to touch what's going on with this movie. There are layers and layers of text and subtext. So I know everybody's watched it. And I, first of all, just want to ask, guys, love it, hate it, what do we think? Casey?
1: Yeah, it was really good. Uh, this was the second viewing. Um, I've I've got that uh, all the Hans B R S box set from Severin, and it's it's one of the films in there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really really good movie. It's not something I would normally enjoy, probably because I like a lot of slash just slasher films and um just, you get a so man's it,
2: leg skinned you get cops yeah shot in so, the yeah head. so get... that's
1: when i started getting excited when when he started skinning his leg i was like yes this is an awesome movie awesome. and then uh, we got a couple cops that show up and they get shot in the head and um or at least one of them did and you see all that blood splatter um but yeah it was it was really good and um you know Graham green he's he's amazing I love Graham um green. but uh yeah I, I really enjoyed it um um you know i would uh, definitely watch it again i'd recommend pretty much anybody to watch it even if it's not something you normally watch you, know, you might end up enjoying
2: it so i'm gonna before we go to anybody else i'm gonna do something that has become ritual at this point so joey do you like this movie man i'm too
1: busy directing and putting together a podcast i don't have time for movies
2: <sighs> <laughs> he never sees any of the movies so josh josh are you a fan
0: yeah, I'd never even heard of this movie before, and you were like, "We need to watch this," and I said, "Okay, well, you got Graham Greene, so that's good enough for me." And yeah, it just it, the story was just awesome, and you know, I'll definitely watch it again.
2: So Graham Greene is just a selling point for me immediately. Yeah. honestly,
0: I saw him; he was on the case, and I'm like, "That's it, it's worth it."
2: <laughs> so Chad, so you suggested this movie, so I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that you're a pretty big fan. <laughs>
0: Yeah,
3: I mean, I'd seen it a while ago, so I refreshed and watched it, and yeah, it's it's just a great movie. Um, understated, you know, and like you know, it can be read kind of two different ways that that guy, you know, graham Breen is real or he's not real. And you know, even though in, even though in the way in the very beginning, it, it bugs me a little bit when they set up that character as being supernatural. Mm-hmm just his, like, intro to the the island is kind of floating over the water. Yeah, It's just a P.O.V., you know, and I love that. But uh, it also kind of was like, oh, like, yeah, already, the you know, Native Americans are being treated as supernatural, yeah. oh, you know. But really it's a great advice because that could just be his point of view on the canoe that he's always in. Yeah. So it's just so I really think it's it's kind of perfect in that sense, and yeah, and you know you're you know, I don't know it's it's just really cool. It's a very simple story, and I think you know it's very clear when he's in the sweat lodge that this is his anger because he said before he just he's just I forget the word he used. He may have said revenge or he just wants people to pay or something right, like someone that has to pay. yeah someone has to pay yeah. yeah and so you really get that okay this is he's manifested this or has he manifested it and um it's yeah cool um the only thing like when you were just talking about again that kind of leapt out to me is some of the symbolism just with that i don't know because uh, has anyone read the book
2: i have not i know the book's called a dream like mine i think right i read it Is that
3: written by someone who's Native American or is that written by, you know, just a white dude?
2: I don't know. I don't, I don't know. So one of the things that, so I, I have had thoughts about, well, we're, so i to say it this way, but there is a trope referred to as the magic Negro. And I, it's part of me can see this movie as, well, he's the magic Indian, one of the things, and it's from outside the movie, that makes me back off on that interpretation a little bit is Graham Greene has actually said he thinks this is the best movie he's ever been involved with. So, yeah, so I don't yeah, think yeah, He feels yeah. that way about it, and so I, I lean toward taking his side on it because God knows he knows more yeah. than I do. But, yeah, and
3: I, I, I it works. It, he is presented well. Yeah. Like his representation is perfect. Yeah. And I think that's why it's, it's authentic. And I think it works like that. So a lot of times people, you know, say, oh, that's a trope. You can't do that. When people are do things all the time that are tropes yeah. in real life. And so they, they wouldn't exist if people didn't do them. And so people have that criticism Jug Face. Oh, they're just tro- southern tropes that you're doing. I'm like, no, no, I'm doing real characters, real people yeah. that also have this element that you're familiar with. Yeah. And and so anyway, um, I think he's handled really well, and you know his character is. But I, I was talking about with the imagery, and I don't. It just it just made me think about Christian imagery twice in the movie, and that's why I wondered if it was a director's choice or that was in the novel when when Graham is like he's on the boat with his arms mm-hmm. out yes that's a total that's a christ like image yes. and then when he dies in the end mm-hmm. it's a christ like image and i think that in a way is. if if we, we want to just leap ahead maybe and talk about uh what we think that the ending means i feel like there's some Christian kind of turn the other cheek there's some something to something with that that relates with how the movie kind of ends
2: so i and not to not to get too weird on it so when he is lying arms out like mm. this on the boat i almost saw that as an ironic pose and, and i think that reinforces for okay me when when he says to the lawyer your god the the one that I don't remember how he puts it. The one who who destroys our land or allows the de- destruction mm. of our land or whatever. So he's clearly not a big fan of the the Christian ideal. Uh, so that's why I kind of take as oh, okay. <laughs> ironic. Um, that the end. I don't know. I guess I didn't notice the the. the yeah, it's the same thing again. Thinking in there. Right. Um, so it just I, was
3: interesting, yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it, it is interesting, and I didn't notice it the second time, and so maybe that's why I didn't put as much weight in the first time. So for me, I always read, and and I, I don't know if this is the right reading, but it's what I get. I always read it as an indictment of pacifism, that he that, that we are learning that to win the war against evil men, sometimes you have to make people pay. You can't always just follow the rules, work within the system. Sometimes you have to fight back. You have to you have to match their violence with violence. They're raping the land violently. You have to to give them violence in return if you're going to get anywhere. Which is a which is a dark and rough thing for a film to say, but I, I always feel like that's what it is saying, at least in make sense.
3: But in the end, do you think that's what it says? Like, in the way it, the movie ends.
2: So, the, the ending I is feel like, yeah, during, because it's yeah. ambiguous, because yeah, we're, we're seeing Peter and Wilf be arrested, but Peter seems happy about it, honestly. Like, like mm-hmm. he feels like maybe he's won something here, even though he's in handcuffs. So, I don't know. I read the ending ambiguously.
3: Well, see, the way I read the ending is that he has exhausted the need for revenge, the the unfruitfulness of the act that it wouldn't go where he needed to go, and so to not act, not go for revenge, was the point. That that's what I got from the ending of it because he doesn't he doesn't win anything, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. He's going to jail, and the other guy is getting off. And he's going to completely never convince the other guy of anything different, of seeing the world anyway any way yeah. differently. But, you know, so to me that it was a different message. It was, yeah, it was that revenge while you would think it would be the right thing. Because that's the whole story. Yeah. He wants revenge. Yes. And from the beginning. As so Lusa, what would you, you get hate
2: at? And it was real. Right. Yeah.
3: Right. 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 So th- that that's kind of like what I got from the end. That's why I was just wondering if it was written by like yeah. you know a white guy and it had this christian kind of stuff going on or not or maybe this is just a uh, well i we'll i don't the, know
2: the, and i i'm certain i am absolutely tearing up the pronunciation but the Whiskey jack um story he is supposed to be a a trickster um mm-hmm. a, an agent of chaos almost so right if, if that is what arthur is and I don't think we can know for sure. If right. Maybe. But if that is what he is, I don't know if he's even really trying to teach the lesson that we're learning or if he's just trying to create chaos.
3: Maybe. I feel like, but I feel like he does learn the main character. Uh, Peter does learn something in the end because there's obviously been a change in him. Um so.
2: So uh, a great piece of uh, trivia here is that Graham Greene has been on the, the television show uh, American Gods based on the Neil Gaiman novel, and mm-hmm. he, he plays the character Whiskey Jack, which is a, a version of Whiskey Jack, which I think is absolutely lovely, that when they when That's they cool. to bring that character in, they went and got Graham Greene for it, so I can't think of anyone who would be better. I think it's right, awesome. yeah, that yeah, awesome. was good. Yeah. So, yeah, I've heard that you, show's
1: really good, but I haven't checked it out. So,
2: I love that book, and I am so terrified of having that book damaged by a TV show in my mind. So, I have not watched it yet, but eventually I will break down and do so. Treat <laughs> it as something
3: complete, completely different. You can't... <laughs> I I, I'm have hang up just like that, but in the end, they're just completely different entities and should be treated like that, you know. Yeah. Well,
2: see, I got i love watchmen i think it's one of the greatest graphic novels ever written and i saw the film they made of it and it just made me sad and angry um but then later a a hbo series got made that rather than trying to adapt the the book actually went off and told its own story in that universe and was a beautiful and wonderful thing i thought they they did a great job so they brought it back for me all right, guys. Uh, any anything else we want to say? Any anything we want to bring up about Clearcut or anything else? You know how it is. You guys have been on your yeah. best behavior
1: tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you're doing a lot of talking, but that's fine. there been know. almost
0: no barking. I think jokes I think you guys, think
1: you guys awesome. have. Well, this is a very serious film, so <laughs> be a little serious in nice discussion. But uh, no, I don't think I have much much else to add to it. Um, yeah, it's a great I w- film. I think everyone should yeah.
3: check it out for sure. Yeah, hundred yeah.
2: percent. Yeah, Josh.
0: Yeah, kind kind of like what Casey said. It's not something I would usually watch, but it really did grab me. That's You know, and the I like recommendations. I I usually watch some of my best stuff because i don't find it
2: yeah yeah that's honestly yeah, yeah somebody said you should check this out and yeah, yeah antlers that's
1: another good one that he's in yeah um that's a newer film 2021
3: yeah, yeah that was um, a really good i like
1: it that. too yeah did
3: you get yeah i, li- I like the tone of that one yeah. a lot yeah um yeah i got i got issues with it but i like it <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah I'd say clear cuts better of yeah. the, oh oh yeah it's it's sure. way
3: more coherent with yeah. all the ideas it antlers felt like it threw in a couple of just ideas that didn't make much sense yeah. you know like yeah. the the Indian revenge thing about it was really a one liner that just does not hold water at all just right. it's very strange and yeah, and just using a sort of the it's a difference yeah it's a good comparison really because they use the one, you know, Indian character about he's explaining the mythos is all he does in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's just such a that's that's a real trope that, that right. they understand the mysticism True. of something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the all knowing of whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, it just wasn't that aspect of it. Was it? I don't know if it I think it was based on a short story
2: i think so yeah too yeah yeah yeah
3: i wonder i mean it's it's strange because it's like people are always like this movie is a great script like they'll say things like that and I always like laugh about that because <laughs> it's really hard to know what the script was mm-hmm. when you get to the final end of a movie and you know, to have something based on it, you really don't know because just really when i if you re- if you read the script for Duckface. Mm-hmm. It's very dark. It's darker than the movie, but that that collection of actors could not go there yeah. as a group. So it lifted it up a little bit, even, even though it's very dark still. Right. Uh, and then you know, and then of course you know the way I directed it gave it a different feeling, you know, than than really kind of how I'd written it. I wrote, I wrote it to be shot more like Dementor. Okay okay but but we have the tools to do it more cinematic so I adjusted to that okay and then the editing once you get to the editing it's it's not a rewrite but it, it's a restructuring of the elements that you actually have from the sh- what you were able actually to get because when you actually make the movie you have whatever you want to get from the film that this page. But the reality is, I, I say in Jug Face, I got 70% of what I want, 70. So that's the movie you have to make out of that 70. It's not the 100. So it's not the full script. It's the 70% of it. And so it's strange. So then you look at Antlers and you think of those two elements and you think, well, those don't quite work well. Was there more that wasn't, you know, that just didn't work or that didn't translate or, you know, there's there's many just factors but anyway, that was, that was a ramble. No, no,
2: no, not at all. So I, I find it interesting, sometimes you get a shot at seeing like an early work print of a film that you're that you're already familiar with and it's fascinating to me to see how different, you know, an early cut of a film can be and how much changes just in the editing. And, and it's, it's interesting to to peek behind the
3: curtain whenever you can. Well, like our first assembly edit well, – or it wasn't an assembly edit. Assembly edit is just like all the shots, all you know, just thrown in, and it's the movie. Uh, but uh, our first, like, real cut, we showed it to some people, and they had no – and this is just they had no idea what the pit meant oh. because there was no credit sequence. And I and I realized then, I was like and I had the idea of the the background history of the church, you know, the Christian people and what happened. And I was like, Oh, we need to have this animation first so that they, they understand that the pit is bad. Mm-hmm. But see, but the first people who watched it just came over to the editor's house didn't know that. So they, they just thought it was a hole in the ground. Oh. Whereas you know everyone else who watches the film knows already that hole that's not going to be good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, it's not the hole's not bad. It's God, so
3: it can't be. As long as you, as long as you feed it, 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 it's true. Yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) easy. Just I like every once in a while. Come on, right? Some people
2: (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, once again, I want to thank you so much for being here, Chad. Um, big, big, big fans of your work. Cannot wait for the next movie. Honestly, cannot wait. Sure. Um, is there any chance that you might, after the next one comes out, that you might come on and uh, talk about it with us?
3: Yeah, of course, man. I'm always open to talk about horror movies and I, I love minor horrors. Oh. They, they, they can't tell <laughs>
2: me <you> to <be laughs> off,
1: but
3: no, no, no. I mean, I, I, mean, I, 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 I really either, have you know. a. <laughs> I don't know. I caught an open door policy, but it's uh, pretty much I'll do any interview because I just love talking about films and uh, whoever, whoever wants to listen.
2: Well, that's outstanding. So, See, that's, that's awesome. the reason we Appreciate do this. It. We just like talking about movies. So, and, that's awesome. And we discovered that we could get other people who are smarter and more important than us to come and talk about movies with us. So it's awesome. <laughs> All right. All right, uh, everybody. Well, for Bloodfest, the podcast, I've been Nate. That guy down there with the big beard's been Josh. The guy with the little beard's (laughs) been Casey. The guy who hides away from the camera has been Joey. And our special guest tonight has been Chad Crawford-Kinkle. Our opening narration is done by Ken Faree. The music's done by us. And that's all there is. Catchphrase (laughs) sign-off.